Good morning, Grace family. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. A couple of quick shout-outs as you're doing that. Uh, First, I don't know where you went, Michael. Maybe you're coming back. Maybe you just did announcements and you're coming back for the second service. But uh, long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Michael used to be one of my students. He was the guy up here doing the announcements a moment ago. And then um, after that, he was my teaching assistant for years, taught uh, in my classes my behalf, students loved him. Always, you know, be one of those things where you come back to class the next class session and you're not sure if your students want you back. Um, he's done a wonderful job growing <clears throat> in ministry and has a heart for evangelism and a real love uh, for letting the word in deep, which is kind of what our passage is about this morning. So I'm thankful for him. Also, uh, a quick shout out to the half of my team that is on the, uh, on the opposite coast this morning. Miss you guys. Love you. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, All right, so we're going to be, as I said, in Luke chapter 8 this morning, and we're focusing on um, the message of the kingdom that enters by way of hearing. What we're going to see, and and I imagine many of you are familiar with uh, the, the passage that we're looking at, is that it's not only possible, but actually quite easy to hear without really hearing. So we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to read the entirety of our passage for us all the way down to verse 21, and then we're going to dive in uh, to see what the Lord has for us this morning. So Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. 
For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mothers and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So at first glance, this is a series of passages that uh, may appear only loosely connected. But I want to argue that there is a common theme that's holding all of them together. In the first three verses, we encounter what Jesus was mainly doing at this point of his ministry, namely proclaiming the good news. As he turns to the parable of the sower, we find how he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, mainly in parables. In the interpretation of the parable, Jesus tells why he taught in parables, and he also gives the key for how to receive and hear this proclamation of the kingdom. And then in the two paragraphs that come after that, the one about the lamp on the stand and the comment about his mother and his brothers, we discover the effects and the blessings of hearing and receiving the word of God in the prescribed manner. So the key point of the entire passage is the instruction to hold fast the word, right? You see that in verse, I mean, it's, it's, it's all throughout. You see it in verse 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus says. You see it in verse 15 concerning the soil that he describes as the good soil. He says, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. You see it in verse 18 with the admonition, yet again, take care then how you hear. And in the summary statement in verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So verses 1 through 3 sets the stage or the context for what he was doing. He's proclaiming the good news of the, of the kingdom. And, and even though those first three verses are really just sort of providing context for the remainder of the passage, there are a couple of quick comments that I think we should stop to make here. First, in those, uh, in, in those first three verses, we're told of some of Jesus' ministry companions. Uh, not surprisingly, the twelve were with him, as were a number of women who had been healed, either from illness or from demonic affliction, as well as at least one woman from Herod's household. We're told that Mary Magdalene was among them. She's mentioned as the one from whom seven demons had gone out. Now, just as a, at least for now, a sort of a, a, a footnote of passing interest, Mary Magdalene is not the unnamed sinful woman from the passage that, uh, that Eric preached last Sunday in Luke chapter 7. More importantly, she absolutely was not the wife of Jesus, as liberal scholars and publications sometimes to contend when they happen to do their Jesus piece, usually around Easter. Jesus came for a bride. He did not come for the little bee version. He didn't take a wife in that sense. What Mary Magdalene was, however, was someone whose life was changed profoundly by the good news of the kingdom. And her fruit of following Jesus gives us a little bit of an advanced glimpse of what good soil hearing looks like. So in this, in, in this opening uh, section, there's an incredibly diverse group of companions who are, who are following with Jesus, uh, ministering with Jesus 
financing the ministry of Jesus. You've got apostles. You've got former demoniacs. You've got female financiers. You have women who've come to know Jesus from Herod's household. In other words, since Jesus is the key figure in every passage, what this fundamentally portrays is something about him. And what it particularly portrays is that Jesus is worthy to be exalted, to be listened to, to be followed by people from every tribe and tongue and background. It also becomes clear with these followers, right, co-laborers in ministry, that when Jesus redeems someone, he deploys them in kingdom service, right? He, uh, God's going to see to, to the advance of his kingdom, so he mobilizes apostles who will lay the foundation. And if the Pharisees, for example, won't get behind it, he will mobilize tax collectors and rescued demoniacs and even the women's of Herod, Herod's household. If we don't praise, the rocks will cry out. He will accomplish his purpose. So following that contextualization, <clears throat> we move then to the central parable of the sower, or some people call it the parable of the soils. Maybe that's uh, more accurate. I don't know if when, when I got slotted for this, if Kenny remembered six or seven years ago. Did you, did you know I preached the parable of the soil way, way back when in Mark's gospel? God did. I was just my available date, apparently. Um, in, this, in this parable, uh, we learn that not all soil is fruitful. Not all soil is fruitful soil. So, in, as Jesus begins to tell the parable, there's one seed, the seed doesn't change. There's one sower, the sower doesn't change. There is, however, a diversity of soils. And the first three soils that we encounter in Jesus' telling of this parable all reflect different ways of not bearing fruit, different ways of not bearing fruit. Some are more subtle than others, but they are all three ultimately non-fruit bearing. Uh, The first soil, Jesus says, uh, reflects the seed that fell upon the path. You see that in verse 5. The path is trampled. It is foot-worn. It has become very hard to penetrate. And so the seed that falls on it is so much bird food. Soil number two, Jesus says, reflects the seed that was scattered on the rocks. This is in verse 6. And in this case, that seed withers away because it was rootless. There was no depth of sustenance. Soil number three, which you see in verse seven, Jesus says reflects the seed that fell among the thorns. And as it begins to grow up, it gets choked out by the thorns. The fourth and final soil, Jesus calls in verse eight, good soil. And it yields a fruitful 100-fold harvest. In the interpretation of the parable, Jesus makes clear that not all hearing is fruitful hearing, right? It's like all, all, the, all soils are not equally fruitful, all hearing is not equally fruitful. Now, we'll come back in a minute and, and ex- elaborate on Jesus' purpose for speaking in parables. But for now, I want to jump into his interpretation of the parable down in verse 11. And it is, the, it is this interpretation where he makes it clear that he's teaching us how to hear and receive the word. Now, keep in mind, he is giving this parable to, in the context of a crowd. There are many forms of false hearing that may at least initially appear to be genuine, right? Not everyone 
who follows Jesus, as it turns out, wants Jesus for Jesus. So how we hear reveals what we think we need from him or what we say we want from him. Teaching in parables invokes a kind of soil test. What are you looking for from Jesus? Is he a means to another end? Are we drawn to him because we sense that he might be useful to advancing our agenda? Are we drawn to him because we think he's the best thing that we could possibly have? So he explains in verse 12, the soil that fell on the path. They are those who hear, but the devil takes away the word. I'm calling this neglectful hearing. This is not a failure to hear outright. They hear the word, and then they lose it. It's a failure to consider and embrace. It is culpable neglect, like, like, like dismissing conviction. It made me think of the, uh, the passage in James 1 where James says, this is James 1, to 24. Maybe you remember this passage. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. See the neglect to pay heed in that? We also note concerning this uh, particular soil that, that it's described as a demonic attack. The seed is snatched so that there won't be dwelling on the Word, considering the Word, embracing the Word, remembering the word. Isn't it important to know that something as seemingly mundane as our mode of hearing is a battleground of spiritual warfare? That wasn't just true for them then. That's true for all of us right now. Soil number two, verse 13. This is the soil that fell on the rock, the rootless soil that Jesus says, because of its rootlessness, In time of testing, those who hear in this manner fall away. I'm calling this superficial hearing. So the ground in this case is shallow without roots. Those described in this manner initially appear to receive the word even with joy for a time, but just as quickly they reject the word as will prove to be the case with many in the crowds, right? The testing of adversity reveals that these had come to Jesus for something other than Jesus himself. When it turns out to be the case that following Jesus cost them the experience perhaps of being treated like Jesus, they ultimately decide it really isn't worth it. Now, the flip side of that is actually really good news, right? Uh, If you experience trial and you find that the Word is a source of enduring encouragement to you, then you'll have really good reason to believe that your reception of the Word is the genuine, fruit-bearing, discipleship kind. If, 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 if the pressures of life and the trials of following Jesus squeeze out of you faithful endurance, that's really encouraging fruit, isn't it? <clears throat> third soil, <clears throat> verse 14, or the interpretation of the third soil. This is the one that fell among thorns. Jesus says, uh, those who hear in this manner, their hearing is choked out by the cares 
and riches and pleasures of life. So if, if soil number two failed the test of adversity, then soil number three fails the test of distraction. I'm calling this one preoccupied hearing, preoccupied hearing. So, so in, in, in our context, maybe someone in, in this category, and, and of course there's, right, there's some overlap between the first three, but, but someone in this category, maybe they're active in church for a time. Maybe they participate in religious ceremony like praying before meals and big events like tests and job interviews and that sort of thing. But, but those described in this manner are also lukewarm towards the word of the kingdom because there's something else that preoccupies the heart's attention even more, right? Maybe it's riches, like the rich young ruler. Maybe it's other cares, like carefully attending to and crafting an online persona or an offline persona that gets a sufficient number of likes, stays one step ahead of the cancel culture crowd. But if it, if it comes between Jesus and my other cares, whatever those might be, those described in this manner, right, if, they're not willing to go with Jesus if it comes down to it. And the problem with this mode of hearing is that if you hold back any area of life from Jesus' lordship, that's idolatrous. And it is, as Jesus says in verse 14, unfruitful. So soils one, two, and three are all unfruitful. Again, some more subtle than others, but all unfruitful nevertheless. But I want to ask you this question before we move on to soil number four. And, and I'm not looking for a show of hands, right? Um, but I do want you to consider this. Do you have a sense that perhaps you might be described in the response of one of these first three soils? Do you have a sense that that may describe you? If so, I want you to know that that is a mercy if you are given that awareness today while there is still time to repent, to receive His Word, and to allow the soil of your heart to be cultivated into what we identify in, in uh, verse 15 as good soil hearing, okay? So, the, the, the whole point of the passage is take heed how you hear. And if you are able to take heed from this message, I'm hearing like one, two, or three. The response of take heed, right, is repent and receive. Soil number four, it's called good soil. This is verse 15 is the interpretation. I call it kingdom hearing. Jesus says, those who hear in this manner are characterized by hearing the word, holding it fast, and so bearing fruit. Are there trials and tests here? Absolutely. But this hearing is proven by the fruit of perseverance. In this case, soil number four no longer views Jesus as a means to some other ends. Jesus is not just useful, Jesus is beautiful. Jesus doesn't just serve an agenda. Jesus is necessary. Jesus is everything. <clears throat> so what distinguishes soil four from the first three soils, right? The main contrast, as we said before, does not have anything to do with the sower or the seed. It's the same sower, the same seed in every instance. In this parable, the differing effect between soils one, two, and three and soil number four is explained entirely by the differences in soil type, and thereby the depth 
to which the seed penetrates. Okay? So shallower penetration, as in the case of the first three soils, does not lead to holding fast the word. And according to Jesus, shallow engagement is no real engagement at all. The key, then, concerning the message of the kingdom is for us to hear and to receive in a way that takes the word down deep and holds it fast. To hear in a way that allows the word to have the upper hand in interpreting not only the meaning of different passages of Scripture, but interpreting the meaning of life and interpreting the meaning of you. Is there effort involved in holding fast God's word? You better believe it. But it is not the effort to merit right standing with God. Rather, it's the effort to open oneself up and receive the life that is inherent in His Word. See, sometimes in our, in our rightful desire to avoid legalism, we can fall into the trap of thinking that effort is a dirty word and that the effort to savor the Word of the kingdom somehow involves a pursuit of merit rather than a reflection of need and dependence. You may remember uh, this quote from Dallas Willard. I know Kenny's used it a couple of times in his preaching. I think he very helpfully phrased it in, in the following manner. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning, right? Those are not the same thing. Okay, so, so why then parables? Why are parables a preferred form of teaching the message of the kingdom? This is kind of back to that, that middle section. Well, in some sense, parables do reflect a veiled manner of teaching, right? I mean, you have to, you have to, you have to work, you have to dig in, you have to look beneath the, 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 the surface. You're invited into further reflection. And I think it's not, that's, that's not altogether surprising, right? The parabolic nature of Jesus' teaching reflects or mimics in some respects the veiled nature of his incarnational appearance, doesn't it? Right? There's, there's much more than, than meets the eye, and to get to know him, you have to bear down and dig in, lean close. Jesus says, by the way, that this parable is the key to all the parables. He doesn't say it as clearly here, but he does say it in Mark's account. In Mark's account, in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, Here's what he says when his disciples ask him about the, the meaning of the parable. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So apparently this parable holds the key, but it doesn't hold the key because it gives us the details of all the other parables. The reason it holds the key to hearing the message of the kingdom is because it shows us the right way to hear, right? It shows us that good soil hearing is hearing that leans in and draws close and recognizes its need and holds fast and asks for more. Again, in the context of many religious leaders who are weighing in on Jesus, as well as many among the crowds, there is all kinds of hearing without hearing that is taking place. So encounters with God's Word serve to sift those who truly hear and thus are His actual disciples from those who do not. Did you notice in our passage in verse 9 that when Jesus began to explain this parable to His disciples, He did so in response to something that they did that was so simple that it's very easy to overlook. They asked, 
verse 9. In other words, right, it's not, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not uh, profound or rocket science, but they are demonstrating good soil hearing, aren't they? Right? Not because they already understand it all. It's clear that they don't. But they recognized that there was more to Jesus' teaching than just an interesting tale about seed and soils. So they asked. They asked Jesus. They didn't dismiss his teaching. They didn't assume they had the under, all the understanding already that they would, would ever need. They went to him. They sought to get a better handle. Do you see in that how good soil hearing is neither perfect nor self-sufficient? What it is is deeply dependent, right? Now, because the word sifts different kinds of hearing, it's profoundly urgent that we follow the admonition of this passage and take heed how we hear and encounter God's Word. We never leave an encounter with God's Word unchanged because our hearts are always bringing a particular kind of soil to that engagement. <clears throat> I teach the Bible for a living. As one who does that, I often think about this quote uh, from John Frame. Uh, Philip's going to put it on the screen for us. So, John Frame's also a uh, uh, professional Bible teacher, among other things. Here's what he says in his book on the doctrine of the Word of God. He says, the power of the word brings wonderful blessings to those who hear in faith with a disposition to obey. But it hardens those who hear it with indifference, resistance, rebellion. In considering this biblical teaching, I often warn my seminary students to pay heed to what God is telling us here. For seminarians, typically spend two or more years intensively studying Scripture. It is so important that they hear in faith, lest the Word actually harden their hearts and become a fire of judgment to them. God's Word never leaves us the same. We hear it for better or worse. So we should never hear or read God's Word merely as an academic exercise. We must ask God to open our hearts, that the Word may be written on them as well as in our heads." You see how subtle that can be even for seminary students who are, who are preparing and training for a ministry of professionally handling the Word? The temptation to use the Word as a means to an ends of puffing up my academic standing, it's not enjoyed in itself and for itself. It's enjoyed for what it can contribute to, we could say, my kingdom, for example. May we all take heed. <clears throat> Well, in the last two passages uh, this morning, we, what we observe is, is good soil hearing in action, right? We observe good soil at work. So, we just saw that good soil hears and holds fast and bears fruit. Two expressions of that fruit bearing occur in these last two passages. The first one, in verses 16 to 18, about uh, the don't put the lamp under a jar, is the fruit of testifying. And the second one that we'll see in just a moment is the fruit of obedience. So, in verses 16 to 18, Jesus says it's foolish, right, to light a lamp and then cover it up. Everybody knows that the purpose of a lamp is to give off its light so that others may see by it and enter by it, right? He's telling us that one of the genuine fruits of kingdom hearing is that those who hold fast His Word in turn bear witness to it, give testimony to it. It's made me think of the shepherds from Luke chapter 2. 
after they had their life-changing encounter with the good news, one of the things they did that revealed their embrace of it was their proclamation of it to others, right? They heard, they embraced, they shared. Now, the upshot of this in verse 18, this is a really interesting statement, is that how we hear, Jesus says, begets more of that same kind of hearing. So we saw it with the frame quote in, just a moment ago. The effect of how we hear is cyclical in either direction, either by way of increase or by way of decrease, right? On the one hand, as the word thaws and changes you, you become prepared to receive more and more. Have you seen that payoff in your life, more leading to more? I know that it's sometimes slow, but it is true. You experience Scripture starting to come alive, passages become precious, lights begin to go on. It's the dawning realization of who you are and whose story you magnify. It's not easy. It's usually not uh, occurring at light speed, but what profound pleasure there is in experiencing that kind of transformation, right? and increasingly thinking and, and looking at the world in Christ-centered ways and prioritizing His glory, even in our story. On the other hand, as neglectful or superficial hearing leads to increased hardening, it's really not that surprising, is it, that that would result in turn in diminished receptivity to God's Word, right? The harder the, harder the soil the less receptive it is to the scattering of the seed. Again, how urgent is the warning of verse 18? Take care how we hear. Verses 19 to 20, we see Jesus stress that fruitful hearing expresses itself. Uh, another expression of fruit is obedience to God's Word. And this is, I think this is really a fitting conclusion to the theme of hearing God's Word uh, correctly, right? When, when, when he makes his comment, by the way, he's not dishonoring Mary and his half-siblings, what he is doing is he's elevating what matters the most. What matters most, Jesus says, is not bloodline connection, but that you hear and heed his word. And so when your response is one of hearing and holding fast and obeying his word, then verse 21 gives the beautiful summary of the entire message by teaching that such fruit reveals the most important thing about you, namely that you're a member of the family of God. What greater blessing could there be? And we mentioned earlier in the sermon, this particular lesson was learned really well by Jesus' half-brother James. Remember James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Hearing the word of Christ without doing it is self-deceiving. What a testimony, not just, not just that statement, but that statement from James in particular, right? He, this guy grew up with Jesus. If anyone would have known whether Jesus was the real deal or not, it would be James. He could have called rubbish on the whole thing. But instead, James learned, celebrates, and shares that the word of Christ demands and deserves our obedient hearing. What a great testimony. So we know the most urgent exhortation uh, for us from these passages is to hold fast the Word. I want to spend a few minutes now with you considering how maybe we can encourage one another to take the next step in doing just that. And I've tried to organize my, these thoughts, these are you know, basically applications here, 
around three categories for hearing well. So it's uh, hearing daily, hearing deeply, and hearing dependently. Daily, deeply, dependently. Why daily? <clears throat> In his book on prayer, uh, Tim Keller likens prayer and scripture meditation to cancer medication. He in, in his little analogy, he says, every day you take the medication, the tumor shrinks a little bit. Every day you don't, it grows. In such a scenario, he says, who would, who would ever conceive of forgetting the urgency of taking their medication, right? The Christian's ongoing battle with the flesh in this life is somewhat like that. Neglect the Word of God today leads to a little bit of loss of receptivity. Whereas, eager reception of the Word tills the soil just a little bit more, making it a little more receptive. So when it comes to uh, cultivating the habit of daily diving into God's Word, I just want to make two recommendations. Two recommendations here under daily. The first one, and I think probably the more important of the two, spend some time prayerfully considering what a treasure the Word of God is. What a treasure this is. See, it's not only the case that God does not owe us salvation. He doesn't even owe us the merciful revelation of himself at all. We don't don't even deserve his self-disclosure, right? This, then, is an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? And yet, how easy and how casually do we take it for granted? If we understand a little better what a profound treasure this is, maybe that would change the lens by which we consider spending time in the Word. A privilege, more so than a chore. Second recommendation, a little more just on the practical level, wherever you are right now, just take the next step. Don't take the next 10 steps. Don't take the next 100 steps. Just take the next step. You can take the step after that, later on after that, right? So if, if today you're here or you're listening and you would say to yourself that you're not in the habit of spending time in God's Word, but you do recognize your need for it, shoot for 15 minutes tonight and again tomorrow. I am not saying that 15 minutes is the finish line. But if that's the next step for you, then take it. Friends, since we make time for what we love, here's, just a, here's a little challenge along those lines, right? You're, t- t- take back some of the time given to social media or Netflix or hobbies and invest it in your relationship with the Lord through His Word like that's a better treasure because it is. Given the priority that Jesus made out of pursuing you to the uttermost, I am totally confident that if you prioritize those moments in your day, it will only amount to the effort to receive mercy and not to merit it. And, 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 and so some of you may think, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm not in this habit at all, I don't even know where to begin. Do I just, you know, randomly open the Bible and pick a path? Guys, there are reading plans galore that are so helpful and if you're looking for some, here's a, here's a couple of recommendations. The, the easiest thing you can do, e- you, you saw it on the screen earlier, email prayer at Grace EV Free. 
and ask the elders for a reading recommendation, and they will send you one, okay? Uh, some other people in our congregation have produced reading plans. Uh, Fred Sanders has, has a couple. You can ask him. You can ask me after the service. You can email me. I, I, I'm happy to give a recommendation. But, but here, here's one idea. You could do worse than prayerfully reading your way through the gospel of Luke each week in harmony with each Sunday's uh, passage, right, for, for, for the Sunday sermon. I think that if you, if you tilled the soil of your heart throughout the week like that, you would probably come away from Sunday's sermon with an enriched hearing of the message. And maybe that would in turn send you back to the Word of God in the coming week with a heightened expectation of what God may be pleased to do again. More begets more. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. And the satisfaction of seeing Him answer those prayers as you take steps of dependent faith. In any case, keep at it, right? So, uh, kind of think of it like, uh, like what eating is to your body. None of us eats one meal and expects it to fi- suffice for a, for a week, let alone a lifetime. Keep eating, as it were. Second uh, application is hearing deeply, hearing deeply. We already saw from Hebrews 2 this morning that the opposite of holding the word fast is drifting, okay? If we want to get the Word into us, then engagement with God's Word cannot stop at mere analysis. Analysis isn't, doesn't go deep. I mean, it's, it's necessary, but it's not, it's not sufficient, right? So, here, here's a few tools for your Bible reading toolbox. Um, so, three summary statements here uh, will, will be, and I'll unpack these, but, but ask, linger, share. Ask, linger, share. Okay, so ask. As you're doing your Bible reading, ask some questions. Here's four. Right? They're not, again, they're not rocket science. I didn't invent these. Um, other people have great questions. Randy teaches a, a course with six questions for getting into the Word and getting the Word into you. All kinds of fantastic resources. Here's four. <clears throat> what does this passage reveal about you, God? What does it reveal about who I am and what I need? What would a response of unbelief look like to this passage? What would an unbelieving response look like? And by contrast, what would a believing response look like? What would a response of faith look like to this passage. So, that's ask. Two, linger. Linger in the passage until you find at least one thing from the particular passage you're reading that you can savor in praise and thanksgiving to God. Stay until you find one thing to send back up to God in praise. And then the last element was uh, share. So, whatever that thing is that you lingered over, share it with somebody else in encouragement. Take a small risk and testify to someone else about how God's Word has encouraged you, okay? That could be a text message. It could be a comment shared with a roommate. It could be an evangelistic uh, expression to an unbelieving neighbor or loved one. Hey, I was reading about the costly love of Jesus this morning. 
And I wanted, just wanted you to know I was, I was praying that for you. Amazing news from our passage is that bearing witness to the mercies of God and His Word not only shines the light for someone else, it does do that, but it also tells us that it will deepen our own receptivity when we go back to the Word. <clears throat> A third, third application was hearing dependently, hearing dependently. So, all of that leads finally to an encouragement to receive the Word dependently. As you read God's Word this week, give some prayerful consideration to what it might look like if the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of that passage and formed that next step in your life, okay? If He grabbed hold of that and formed it in your life, and then, and then pray for Him to enable that trust. Pray for Him to meet you in the moment of challenge. That is a prayer that He loves to answer. You don't have to wonder if He likes answering that prayer. He likes to answer that prayer, <laughs> so pray it. But also, consider depending on your family of faith to help you in your journey towards ever-increasing good soil hearing. So, so tell someone else, tell another believer of your goal to grow in dependence on the Word. See if you can encourage one another with, a, with, a, with the morsels that you're learning day by day. It could be a roommate again, it could ha- happen in grace group, it could happen with a sibling. It definitely happens in a congregational service like this when we sing truths for one another's encouragement, and it can happen, I hope it does happen, in the spillover after the service of what follows conversationally when the service is done. It's going to be super tempting today, guys, when this service is over, to turn next to, you know, let's go Rams, or you know, I, I'm probably no Bengals fans here, so let's go Rams, right? right? And enjoy the Super Bowl, but, but, but don't, don't, don't lose the moment the opportunity to encourage one another. Uh, so, in a nutshell, <clears throat> here's a summary of our, of our message this morning. Entire message in a paragraph, key appl- uh, the, the key exhortation and key applications. Here's the summary exhortation. Hold fast the immeasurably precious gift of God's Word. That's the exhortation, okay? The take-home applications are these. Number one, identify what the next step looks like for you and ask the Spirit to meet you in that increasing delight and growth. Identify, appeal to the Spirit. Number two, move towards God's Word with a view to savoring it, sharing it, and obeying it. God's Word, savor, share, obey. And thirdly and finally, seek to depend on your family of faith to encourage you and walk alongside you. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to this moment now with the recognition that for many in this room, uh, they can look back over the miles of their lives and see your great faithfulness to produce growth and perseverance in them through the instrumentation of your Spirit applying your Word to their lives. Lord, and where that is evident, we give you great thanks for that and pray that you would encourage the continuation of that. For all of us, we pray that there would be a day not too far down the road where we could look back and similarly see the way that the application of your word to our lives produced a harvest of growth, a harvest of satisfaction, of intimate enjoyment of relationship with you that far supersedes 
anything we could ask or imagine out of our own agendas or senses of how Jesus might be useful to them. Would you make uh, your son the great object of our delight and steer our growth in a Christward direction? We pray these things in his name. Amen.